Hello and welcome to the Life Enchanted podcast. We're on a mission to optimize our lives through faith, health, wisdom, and much more. Thank you for joining us on our journey. Here now is our host, Nick Carlisle. What is good, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to Life Enchanted. My name is Nick Carlisle, and I have the pleasure of being your host as we nerd out on all things faith, health, interesting, and optimizing. The goal here is to help you live a better life, my friends. Simple as that. And selfishly, it helps me as well as I am forced to rearticulate things and teach things to you guys and dive deep into content with guests who have valuable wisdom to share with the world. So it is a win-win for both of us. Praise God for the internet. A couple of things before we dive into today's episode. First, hit me up on Instagram, at nick.carlisle, that is. I am very active on there and would love to connect with you guys personally. Also, I encourage you to check out my website. That's www.mylifeenchanted.com. On there, you can inquire about my holistic life coaching services. You can check out the Truth Pack, which is a little something that's been tremendously helpful and valuable for me in my morning routine and in my pursuit to optimize my day. You can also check out some shirts and hoodies I designed. There's a free 25-page eating guide on there, a little PDF I developed. I'll put the link to all of that in the show notes below this episode. Lastly, and most importantly, please leave a rating and possibly write a review of Life Enchanted on whatever podcast platform you're using. I'm trying to grow this thing, and I need you guys to help me do that. You play an integral part there, so sharing any of my content on Instagram or any of these podcast episodes would be so much appreciated, and I will love you forever. But that's enough of the housekeeping items from me. Now let's dive into today's episode. Today's guest is Joe Holder, aka the man behind Exercise Snacks and the Ocho System. Joe is a master trainer at Nike. He is a writer for GQ. He studied health in medicine and psychology, double major in the Ivy League at University of Pennsylvania. He is an entrepreneur, he's a health and wellness expert, and he's just got a ton of wisdom to share related to those two topics. So without further ado, here is my interview with the one and only Joe Holder. All right. Joe Holder, my dude. Thank you for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure, man. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. So I want to start with hearing you answer a specific question because you wear a lot of hats, dude, and you have done (laughs) a lot. So if you meet someone and they ask you what it is that you do, how do you respond to that? I kind of just laugh and deflect because everybody (laughs) kind of has a preconceived notion and, um, I've, I used to, it used to frustrate me and now I'm just like, whatever. So I'm just, I mean, not to be cheesy, but like, I'm just me. I use my strengths to find ways to essentially, you know, either do good in the world, get work, um, and, you know, of course get funds. So that's necessary, but you know, I'm, uh, uh, I just tell people essentially, um, like I'm an entrepreneur, a health and health and wellness consultant. And, you know, I, I do that in a variety of ways. 
talk to us about a couple of those income streams because I know you do work for Nike. I know you write. Yeah, I got my start in personal training. Um, you know, that's how I got big and and, and had some notoriety because uh, that's what Nike first picked me up for. It. And, I, you know, I was basically training a lot of the who's who in the world of fashion and fitness, um, like Naomi Campbell, Virgil Abloh, Bella Hadid, Romy Street, Georgia Fowler, like all the, you know, BS women. And then some athletes too. So it was basically kind of, you know, a studio 54 moment for me. It was, uh, I was like the guy, yeah. um, I was like to do it. So, uh, but anyhow, yeah, you know, personal training was definitely what I first did and, um, I still do it here and there as necessary, or if, you know, somebody has something important, they got to get in shape for it, but it doesn't take up the bulk of my time anymore. Yeah. What is it about your training or the way that you approach things? Do you think that that made you popular and enabled you to land all of these giant clients? Uh, I mean, there's definitely the intangibles. I mean, you know, I've thought about this a lot and a part of it is like, uh, I'm me. Like there's one thing that you can't take away that anybody needs to realize. Like everybody always wants to learn what people are doing, what they're eating, whatever. But like, you also have to accept who you are yeah. and understand what those strong points are. So, you know, I'm just kind of a nice guy. Like I always approach it with this mindset of like, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing it for them. And then what makes, what I think helped me was, uh, I create, I did it. It wasn't like a, my way or the highway type thing. It was a situation of understanding what it is that this person wanted to do, what they could do and how to basically make it as longitudinal as possible. So there's a roadmap for success and that they actually have to want to do it. So mm-hmm. I would try to make it enjoyable And I think people appreciated that. And then I was just very honest with what it is we were trying to accomplish. I'm not uh, always a no drinking guy. If that's part of somebody's life, then we're honest about it. And we figure out ways either to mitigate or have them then make more conscious decisions when they decide to do it. And then just focusing on additional components besides fitness. So, of course, you know, mental wellness, uh, nutrition and diet and just creating like an amoeba like structure, I like to say. I Mm. think a lot of nowadays just really just get focused on um you know the industry is pretty broy which makes it a little bit difficult for some people and then uh a lot of people just really try to get focused on getting famous um so that definitely turns people off if you work with famous people and you're just trying to get something out of them mm. and that was never my goal yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense i'm Personally, I, I do some health and wellness coaching, and and one of the biggest things as far as success that I keep reading about and coming across because I'm still early in it, but some of the best advice that I keep getting is to, yeah, like you said, cater it to specific contexts and work with people, guide them, come alongside them. Don't just throw things out. You can't ever drink again. You can't ever, you know, that that doesn't work and that people ultimately have their the answers inside of them and that our our goal as a health and wellness coach or whatever is to help bring those answers out of them and then help support them, help them be aware of what's going on and make decisions that that align with the goals that they're trying to achieve. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's really just uh, environmental architecture for the most part. It's like you're not we're not really to this is a thing, to be honest, is like for most of us, we're not teaching anybody anything groundbreaking. We're just teaching them either what they've not 
been told that is very intuitive or teaching them what they've forgotten. So mm. it's really just a, a path of not really even discovery, but more so just remembrance. And, you know, I think, I think, you know, you talk about a lot of Western culture, but I, but I think like the body naturally becomes inclined to then engage in these activities, not just because it now becomes enjoyable, but we're just meant to do it. So there's the intangible aspect, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's, it's, and that's the difference between performance and fitness in a performance, you know, sport oriented world, you really have to focus on uh, making it distinct for the athlete, especially within s- certain parameters. The fitness world is, you know, especially in New York is just kind of, it's, it's not what it is. It's, I mean, it's definitely improving, but for most part, like fitness focused specific things are really just about pageantry. All right, my friends, quick pause to shout out one of my favorite clothing companies, Viori. That's V-U-O-R-I. If you know me, you know that I am a sucker for well-fitted, durable, versatile, and stylish clothing, and Viore is just that, and I rock their stuff all the time, whether I'm working out or at the beach or hiking or at church or on a date night with the wife. I feel like I'm constantly wearing Viore. My favorite products right now are their Tuvalu tee, which is probably the best fitting tee I've ever found. Uh, their core shorts, and their Ponto performance pants. Viore's goal was to build men's and women's activewear that did not look like activewear, and they certainly achieved that goal. And for listeners of Life Enchanted, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So go and get yourself or your loved ones or whoever some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at vioreclothing.com slash enchanted. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash enchanted not only will you get 20 percent off your first purchase but you will also enjoy free shipping on any u.s orders over 75 dollars and free returns as well just go to vioriclothing.com slash enchanted and discover the versatility of viori clothing so before we get into a lot of the, the nitty gritty of the health and wellness stuff, I'd like to rewind the clock back a little bit. I know when you grew up, your father was in medicine and you kind of took a, a an approach that wasn't super popular at the time, it sounds like. Can you talk to us about what his approach was like and how you think that influenced you today? Yeah, I mean, my dad's you know, a holistic doctor and he, oh, I mean, he was always learning. So and he always kind of... Um, was an MD, and but he always kind of introduced us to that concept of always learning. So even as kids, like we had to write book reports and stuff. Like he just make us do it outside of school on certain subjects that he thought we should know about. Mm. And having this decision, I think uh, how he was created a mental models framework for success, but also um, introducing us to being around medicine and, and especially like, you know, as black individuals in a healthy household, that was important. So seeing my dad treat conditions, seeing my dad, uh, just understanding really like a doctor's office, because I think a lot of people just have a hard time navigating the medical system as well. But my dad's impact was, you know, extraordinary. I, I wanted to be a doctor when I grew when I was a child. I remember running around the office and um, you know, interacting with patients that my dad had and also connect that with my mom because my mom was also a huge influence. So and taught me about the importance of other areas of wellness, which is, you know, she taught us how to read. So intellectual pursuit, she taught us, she fought on our behalf. So, you, you know, so I remember her and my dad coming down when I was put into school because I was homeschooled until second grade. But I was I started school young and they wanted me to go to kindergarten and my parents said no test him 
and they tested me and I ended up skipping a grade and I went into second grade. So they, mm. they just teach me about agency. It's teaching me about, um, about like making decisions for yourself, but also not being, you know, ignorant and hubris filled, which I think we're seeing in the kind of wellness world uh, today. But it was also always just this intense sense of curiosity and also being an, indivi- being an individual, but also understanding a part of a greater community. Cause my dad, you know, would work, volunteer, uh, do work with Head Start programs, would, would also volunteer on the weekend. So just seeing this was very important to me, for mm-hmm. me, and had me think about the world in a different way. But specifically as it pertains to like medicine, I mean, my dad acts as a, was, had a more doctor thought process, more of like a service industry, right? So mm-hmm. treating the whole person rather than kind of more of a cattle farm, which some hospitals or doctor's offices or physical therapist offices will kind of be like. So seeing this just made me really interested in understanding, like, I don't know how the mind works, how the body works, stuff like that. And, and, you know, it's always stick with me to this day. And then also understanding, you know, getting, I suppose, getting uh, invested in the concepts of like blood tests thoroughly, like hair tests thoroughly, like seeing all this as a kid. Like, and I just thought it was cool. I was just like, yo, my body's a machine. Like, how can I know more about it? So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's super cool, man. Are there any other, you mentioned the book report practice, which is actually super interesting. I have three kids under six, man, and I'm trying to be yeah. obviously the best father I can be. But are there any other practices or activities that your parents did similar to that that you thought had a lot of value or that you would implement with your kids? Um, I mean, there's probably some stuff you can't do now. Like, remember my dad. Uh, I mean, <laughs> have your kid have your kid see like what is actually going on in the world. So, because I remember my dad made me and my brothers like go to the courthouse in Newark to watch a trial. He made us wow. uh, like go to the local police station and understand like how it worked. And they'll let you wow. in, you know, because that's part of your like life or, you know, mm-hmm. he would be like, here's a bus map, like get to go to where you need to go. And you always make sure we're safe. Like what I learned later in life is like, sometimes he would like watch us or be in the background, like following to make sure we were cool. But he just made us explore, like explore the world and and, and do it in a way uh, to understand how to be like self-sufficient as need be. Um, and then the other thing that he probably I don't know if he took this from Judaism or he just knew that technology eventually would overrun our brains. Um, he every Saturday or every Friday or it was one day of the week, maybe it was Saturday or Friday. I mean, it was Saturday because I was I used to be mad because I used to miss the beginning of football games. He made us turn off the TV at 7 p.m. or maybe it was Friday. He made us turn off the TV at 7 p.m. And then we couldn't watch TV until Sunday at one or three. So he made us like take an inadvertent, I think, TV or technology detox, which Mm. helps to this day. Yeah. Um, He taught us meditation early, which was how old were you, you think? maybe five dang six and it was Um, it was it just traditional like vipassana focus on the breath sit and be quiet type thing eyes closed or uh yeah it was that it was a form of that or like just getting in tune with the breathing or like just really just having practices of like gratitude Mm. you know um and then he actually had a point system it sounds crazy but it really taught you it taught me a lot about like 
that everything's a game. So my dad has seven, we had seven, seven of us. So like you could do allowances, but at the same time that gets a little complicated, but he also realized like, and, and I was lucky because he, they definitely took care of us um, was he had a point system. So you would get points if you did something, if you did certain things. So if you did it either because it had to get done. So like, every Saturday, like we had to wash the walls or every, a couple of Saturdays of the month, maybe one Saturday a month, we had to wash or two Saturdays a month, we had to wash the walls and wash the floors, but you would get points for doing it essentially. And then you could redeem these points later on for the things that you wanted. So he basically made his own cryptocurrency. <laughs> and he was like, if you, we wanted something when we had Toys R Us, he'd be like, okay, well, it's going to cost this many points. So he, he like taught us the value of, he gamified life a little bit, but he would also taught me the value of ingenuity because I'll never forget this was I would, I used to have to hate the doing this because we had huge tree, a huge tree in our yard. We had to rake leaves and I was raking one time and I forgot he wanted me. He was like, go rake this area. But the way that I did it was less efficient. And he was like, well, he let me do it though. And then after I was done and he was like, if you would have did it this way, not only would you have got done quicker, I would have given you such and such points. And I still remember that. I'm like, damn. And to this day, like, I, that's the mindset that I take. I'm like, all right, let me do this well, but can I do this in a different way? Can I, in, could I utilize my ingenuity? Could I do this in a way, you know, that strategic laziness? Can I do this in a way that catalyzes my goal attainment to get to where I need to be, even if it's in a way that's not typical? And I've always taken that thought process because I think a lot of people, always think like, oh, just because it was done this way, this is the way that it's need to be, but then everything ends up taking longer and they may not be as successful or they're not looking at it in a way that actually like catalyzes their progress. Mm. And for me, I think I've been able to do a lot of things because I've taken distinct looks that also I say, okay, how do I catalyze my progress? How do I, you know, not skip this step because I'm trying to cut corners, but I skip this step because this step is no longer needed because my proficiency has increased different than the way that the path previously presented has said so. so. Mm, dude, that's super cool, man. What a boss that your pops <laughs> sounds like, dude. Super inspiring to be that intentional with your kids and, and instill that in them. And and I see just from an objective onlooking standpoint, I, I can see that in you, man. So props to your parents. So you were exposed to a lot, it sounds like, and you are interested in a lot also. And you talk about this idea of being an expert generalist. What does that exactly mean to you? And why is that important for people to understand? Yeah, I mean, I think the concept is taking a little bit more of a foothold with everything kind of going on in, in the world with these people that are like, now cultural mavens, but are like very technologically advanced, right? So whether that's whatever Elon Musk, whether that's Virgil Abloh, whether that's, you know, certain athletes, being an expert generalist is basically, I, there, I think that there's the, there's apparently a, uh, the jack of all trades, master of none is not the full quote. There's like something after that, that actually makes being a jack of all trades makes sense. Mm -hmm. But all this today is like, First off, let's define what an expert generalist is. So an expert generalist is somebody who is an, a relative expert in their field, but has a uh, has also a intermediate to advanced knowledge of other generalized areas that then might also tie back to their main field and also make them not just better at their expert field, but also expand the width of their expertise mm. because they 
now able to apply it to different areas that other experts might look. So that thought process, and like, first off, let me understand what my skill set is and not just what it is that I apply my skills to. <clears throat> so it's understanding those attributes accordingly. And I think that's important in this world because being a creative really is nothing more than being a gig worker. We try to, we try to put such airs around it but most people in a creative class like end up struggling or end up hitting these walls because they don't they have a sh- they have a shelf life and they don't know to expand their game right so mm-hmm. being an expert generalist i think is important because i also look at an athlete right like an athlete you know you could be an expert like you know bruce bowen or whatever could was a solid three-point shooter but he also had a you know old spurs player who was in the league for a long time but mm-hmm. also had a wide array of other generalized talents or attributes that likely extended his shelf life in the league defense so I, that's the mindset that i take is just like <clears throat> and this is why it's hard for people to define what it is that i do i'm like yo i'm i'm i i think and that's why i think you need a core skill set because it also it's a it, you hedge your bets Mm-hmm. If you're so locked in into one area and that area in that area gets more competitive, gets more crowded, whatever, like how are you gonna eat? So my thing is um just really focusing on that regard, but also understanding, and I think my education at Penn taught me this was the fact that like our first year you had to take those core common classes, like those generalized classes before you got super specific within your um within your major. And instead of being so silo focused, you know, it, it also having some sort of general knowledge or interest taught me a lot about, and that curiosity taught me a lot about other things that I actually liked, that I didn't know I liked. Mm. So the other thing is you don't know until you, you know, you, you don't know until you don't know, or you don't know until you know. So there's yeah. certain things that you don't know just because you haven't been exposed to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if the more that you get exposed to, the more you can understand like, oh, this is for me or, or this isn't for me. And then maybe you'd be surprised that the lanes that are open in these other areas of your life with the skills that you currently have are very good at and might be expanded. Yeah, man, totally. I, I take a similar approach, I, I feel like, for myself. And one thing that I've noticed, it it also allows me to find common ground with a variety, a, div- a diverse group of people. Like, it helps in conversation, and it helps in relationships. And, it, and via that, it helps build networks and seize and be exposed to different opportunities in different areas. Because like you said, you didn't know you were interested in this, and now you are. And now you're talking to someone about it, and now they have a hookup here, and there's an opportunity. So... I just feel like, man, that 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 mindset of wanting to constantly learn and evolve and expand yourself is one of the things that I've really found for myself to be one of the pillars of my own mental health and mental wellness and just life purpose is that it's yeah. super it's super life giving, dude, like to learn about different things like the past like four months, I've been going deep down a crypto crypto rabbit hole, bro, like super deep. And <laughs> but it's super yeah. fun for me to learn about this stuff. And it, I've had so many inspiring and fun conversations with people about it. And it leads it leads to just like, I don't know, to to purpose and, and connection and all these different things. So I don't know, I, I firmly believe that just learning is one of the keys to life. Just learning, just just reading nonfiction or even just reading fiction, like whatever it is, just having a posture of wanting to learn is is so huge. Yeah, and I, 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 we always try to romanticize things, but like at the end of the day, it could get you paid. Like, let's not play a game. Like, yeah. In this life, and the fact that you have access to knowledge and information and it could expand your skill set 
and it's something that you like. And it's also, you know, of course, learning, everybody, learning is a constant life thing, but then you make the decision to learn about certain things that can, that can make you money or have a better life. Yeah. Crypto day, if you could change your life, not even some meme coin crypto millionaire thing, but it could, you know, hedge the bet against inflation. It could be a way for you to get extra funds to take care of your kids. It could be a way for extra portfolio retirement strategies. Like we need to stop playing this game that, you know, learning isn't something that could also pay dividends in multiple capacities. And yep. the more that we run from, I think, the economic realities of existence, the more excuses we have to learn our times wisely, our time wisely. So I want to get into the Ocho system, which is a framework that you've developed in the, in the health and wellness world. So talk to us about the events that led up to you developing the Ocho system. Um, just give us kind of a brief overview of that. And then let's get into some of the eight core areas, if you don't mind. Yeah. The Ocho system, when I played football at UPenn, I was dealing with some injuries and I just wanted to find a better way to kind of heal my body. I mean, if any, I mean, this, this one's kind of all over the internet, but it was just simply kind of based out of that. And then it kind of grew into what it is today you know, first starting with the physical uh, and then being able to evolve into this thought process of overall wellness strategies that I think create a, a better conceptualization of health. But hmm. yeah, the Ocho system was in, was in college. Like my nickname actually was Ocho, but then I expanded that to mean, you know, more so a mantra for life about one could help others and others can help one, which I firmly believe. And uh, yeah, it helped me come back from injuries that doctors couldn't fully figure out. Uh, you know, it, it helped that thought process helped me, you know, heal a broken leg in about four weeks so I could play again in my final college football season, you know, and now it's helped me create a business and uh, create basically, I think, a maxim for life mm-hmm. that allows me to stay on a path that I think will prove to be beneficial for me. Um, and the eight core areas, basically it's, it just creates, it's adopt from, you know, this paper from, I believe Margaret Swarbrick, but it's, uh, just this thought process that there are eight core areas to wellness that you need to actively engage in that will then improve health, which is more so a state of being. So mm-hmm. it's, it's of course, physical, which is fitness and diet, but it's also mental, emotional, uh, spiritual, you know, which I think you don't have to be really but I think a spiritual foundation is important, um, intellectual, uh, social, um, environmental, um, and, uh, occupation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the health and fitness world typically just looks at, you know, diet now mental getting a little bit bigger and in, in fitness, but there's so many other additional areas to that. And, you know, I think if we just have an honest conversation about what health actually is and what that means within the context of, our existence on this earth, you'll see that it's a lot more expansive than people tend to believe. I want to dive into the uh, physical aspect of the framework and ask you just about kind of how how you approach things. And I know that you have been plant-based. Are you still currently plant-based, plant-based gang? (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm plant-based. I mean, I've been doing it for a long time. I think people forget what it actually is. It doesn't mean you, I personally don't ever, I don't eat meat. That doesn't mean you never eat meat. I mean, it's just, you try to get most of your food from minimally processed plant-oriented sources. And um, yeah, that's what I really try to focus on. I take a seasonal approach to eating and uh, try to keep it local and 
I don't, you know, try to keep it mentally processed. My thing is, is, is really just no frills. I think physical, the fitness aspect is really the physical is the easiest thing. You just have to make the choice. It's the other stuff that's hard. So Mm. at least as it pertains to people within my respective cohort or people that probably listen to this, like uh, for most people, middle-class, upper middle-class, lower middle-class for the most part, it's just really an issue of not making the decision to take care of yourself um, or just getting a little bit dejected or sidetracked when things hit a wall. Um, but yeah, I mean, I approach my eating from a plant-based standpoint um, at works for me, mm-hmm. but I think that's a framework that could work for everyone. Um, and yeah. Can you walk us through a typical day of eating for Joe Holder? Yeah, I mean, this won't be helpful for most people because I honestly don't really actually eat that much. Um, I wake up and I have tea and then or a juice. I make I make my own juice. I get a little bit of movement in, and then I will have whatever a light breakfast. It depends. So the breakfast is either like some coconut yogurt with assorted toppings, or it's a smoothie, or it's some oatmeal with assorted toppings. I keep it super simple and I go do my work. And then, you know, lunch is typically some sort of bean, some sort of grain. So I just focus on either a grain that's super easy on my digestion, like, you know, white rice. I personally don't have a problem with white rice. I just don't think you should eat a lot of it mm-hmm. or, you know, something that's a little bit better, like black rice or, or, or uh, quinoa or whatever, kamut or, um, and then uh, there's some vegetables and then I probably have the same thing again for dinner. Like, yeah, a lot of people ask me about my diet, but when I talk about my diet, it's just not help. It's not helpful mm. because really it's just understanding really like the thought process that I have that I eat, which is I just don't put processed foods in my body. Yeah, that's really it. Like, yeah, that's what know, it comes down you know, to. Um, yeah, that's really all that it comes down to. So, uh, you know, I think you just focused for the most part is, you know. Oh, can I, what is, what are my choice of snack? Do I typically go feel better with the, you know, whatever a fat or protein based snack, or am I a little bit more active where I like a little bit of fruit in between meals? Um, a situation where certain vegetables don't work for me is a situation where I need to eat certain types of lean fish that might work for me or don't, or meat that might work for me or doesn't. I just think the overall frameworks first. So just simply stay away from processed foods. Yeah. Don't eat too late. Don't eat immediately. Focus on your digestion first. Um, reduce sugar. Uh, uh, limit, basically limit. My opinion too is just, just be a vegan or vegetarian before dinner. Like if you want to eat meat at dinner, totally mm. fine. I think that like think of that as repair yeah but then just think about what are whole fresh foods that won't make me tired that are easy on my digestion and then fall within this range of being uh of minimally processed yeah and then dive into each thing right it's like okay now if i get this now let me focus on all right do i think seed oils that everybody talks about do i think they are good for me or not good for me do i rather stay with other fats it's like okay cool make a decision there okay then make a decision about you know fruits all right i think i'm just going to stick with lower sugar fruits so i'll stick with berries instead Mm -hmm. of maybe some other high, higher sugar fruits. Like, all right, that's your choice to make that decision, right? And it's like, all right, I do or don't want to include meat or fish into my diet, like make that decision. But most people get, get so lost that they 
end up not doing anything beneficial mm-hmm. and they're not even do those base level frameworks for best success. Mm-hmm. So I know it's like so cool online to talk about, you know, whatever your latest biohack or your latest supplements or this and that. But for most people, it's just, it's so oddly simple, mm-hmm. but it becomes either so difficult because they get overwhelmed that they don't engage in those base practices that'll make your life like probably 92% better. No doubt. I love the idea of being plant-based personally throughout the day and then including some animal fats and some animal proteins in the evening. I personally feel awesome when I do that and uh, just energy-wise and feelings-wise and keeping my blood sugar level and all the fiber that you get throughout the day just really helps with digestion and feeding that gut microbiome. But um, yeah, dude, love that. Do you drink caffeine? Uh, I mean, I cycle it. I mean, my tea mainly is probably like white teas or low caffeine teas or uh, like ginger and herbal teas. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, caffeine, caffeine's a drug, so I don't think you should always be on it. And, yeah. You know, it can have potent effects for sure. But I try to limit it. And then if I know I'm in high stress times when my body like needs it, that's when I take it, it'll have a better effect. So, mm-hmm. you know, my thought process is, is like I try not to drink it for more than two weeks straight at a time. Then I'll take a week or two off. I mean, my longest break was like 60 or so days. But that didn't help me for the marathon because I wasn't I was desensitized to caffeine. So it had a bigger impact during the run. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I don't I don't it's not an everyday thing for me, at least in like, you know, higher doses. If there's 10 or 20 milligrams and some tea, I'm not going to be like, Oh no, I can't have this. But yeah. for the most part when I'm, you know, I try to limit it. And then when, when I'm really, of course, when I'm really not having it, uh, I'll cut back. Yeah. But I think it has its benefits. You know, it's both a cognitive enhancer it's both a performance enhancer, but I think it's definitely an abused drug in the U S no doubt, dude, that's not talked about enough. And I'm with you on that. After a couple of weeks, I, I feel like I'm just, I don't know, I, I'm not getting that much benefit from it. And then I have to do a little fast or a little break and then I go back on it. It, I mean, it just, I'm just a drug addict, basically what it comes down to, dude. It's super hard to get off it and stay off of it and, you know, whatever though. Um, how about fasting, dude? Do you integrate fasting into your protocol at all? Yeah. I mean, for me, you know, fasting is, I, I do basically time restricted feeding. So I try to eat according to circadian rhythms. I fast, uh, on flights that are, Go, I fast on flights and then I try to fast between seasons. So when seasons change, I try to go on a, you know, 24 to 48 hour fast just to mm. kind of get my body used to what's happening. Um, so I think that, I, you know, I know that fasting seems to be in vogue in, in the, in the era currently, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's overly complicated. I just think sometimes it's okay to be hungry and then just to do it not to do it in a way that's you know promoting eating disorders but i think that's why i just think time restricted feeding makes sense it's just basically it's like i don't think you eat immediately upon waking up i wait an hour or two and then i try not to eat you know three to four hours before bed um you know when i can but sometimes life gets busy so that ends up really just being like a 10 hour eating window and just give my body time i I think of it as basically a warm-up and a cool down yeah that's you know so there can be benefits to all those in different ways so you know you you know but uh a longer fast you know typically 
kicks in cellular waste a little bit more. I think there's time restricted feeding or the utilization of cellular waste a little bit more. I think time restricted feeding more so just helps you keep your circadian rhythms in check and helps you sleep better, which is of course important. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the shifts between seasons really is more of a kind of a mental a little bit. So I suppose spiritual thing, but of course has physical benefits, but you know, you're, I've been very intrigued why, especially in places that have seasons, it's like, why don't we talk about the impact that the weather change has on our basically mood, our microbiome and the foods that are readily available. So Mm -hmm. I try to go to the farmer's market as much as possible. But so with that thought process is the local foods are going to be different, which is going to change your microbiome. And then short term fast can kind of help with resetting Mm -hmm. to an extent microbiome slightly or giving it because you're giving your body the opportunity to kind of like clean itself up. Yeah. So it's basically like a fast because then what's important about a fast is not the fast. It's what you eat after it. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, I know my diet's about to change, so I don't really want to shock my system that much. And I know a fast gives my body that ability to get used to kind of eating different foods. So that's how I look at it. And of course, you know, I keep learning, learning more about the subject, you know, Dr. Longo out of USC is a really, really good one to, mm-hmm. to look at, but yeah, it's just super interesting. Yeah, it is. I talked to, uh, Dr. John Berardi from Precision Nutrition. I uh, had him yeah. on the podcast. That dude is, is awesome. And we talked about fasting quite a bit and he brought up some really interesting points of, um, just the idea that fasting is a stressor a and that you need to be aware of of the environment you're in and who you're hanging out with and stuff like that and determine if you want to be have a low level of stress there or if you want to be in a sympathetic state like if you're hanging out with your kids do you really want to be in a sympathetic state or do you want to be fed you know and he just brought up a lot of interesting points that really helped me because i've been big on fasting for a couple years now it's helped me a lot but um i was getting a little perhaps dogmatic with it and he just kind of reframed the way that I thought about it as it's just one tool in the tool belt dude and like there's a lot of tools that do a lot of awesome things so just use it sparingly and it's not you know it doesn't have to be a religion which I appreciated but that dude is awesome yeah it's smart dude yeah um talk to me about supplements man what what are you supplementing with what are kind of the universally accepted supplements that people are taking. I mean, talk to me about how you approach supplements and, and how you recommend people approach them. Yeah. I mean, I think if anybody can afford getting a blood test to understand what your blood is actually saying, I think that's super important. Um, from there, from the thought, then I look at supplements is all right, like who are actually good makers of it. So people that have good, you know, GMPs or standing or manufacturing processes, people that hold themselves to higher standards typically because only doctors can t- typically get those supplements like, you know, metagenics or pure encapsulations, although those are available now. It's just like reputable sources that are that are transparent. Mm. And then from there, I just think about so what's the the worst what's the worst thing that could happen for me taking this and that could be just wasting my money but there's no real negative effects unless i take a whole bunch right so then i think from there then i think all right what are the either the most studied ones or what are the ones that are kind of like just most clear that will have a beneficial impact while also mitigating risk so and then from there what i think is important to me for me is 
then understanding what are the things that help in supporting stress, improving sleep, and then of course, like either general wellness or, met- or my metabolism. Mm. So not, not like fat burning, but just me- literally metabolism. So utilize utilization of calories from food for the for best results. So that's kind of how I look at it. And then I look at it from my specifics, which are, okay, I'm a man. So what are the, what are the supplements that might make more sense for me? And then I don't eat meat. So what are the supplements that I might need because I don't eat meat and what are the things that I should be aware of? Mm -hmm. So it's basically kind of like a a three bucket, a little bit decision tree. And then from there, some of the bait, but some basics that I think could work for people especially if you're active is, is really vi- like vitamin C. I know vitamin C gets a little bit of a bad rep because of the COVID situation. And then, you know, Dr. Pauling who has great Linus Pauling at Oregon state was some great discoveries, but got really caught in the vitamin C train down the line and kind of made it seem like it was this magic bullet, mm-hmm. but vitamin C has so many roles in the, in the body. And I typically have been intrigued in this role in you know, the HPA access. So basically, um, the hypothalamus pituitary axis, which just helps with an adrenal axis, which helps with stress modulation. Mm-hmm. So typically when you're stressed out, vitamin A, or you work out a lot, vitamin C gets used vitamin C. So then could help su- support sometimes mood, but, but in stress pathways, but also it's connected to sleep, which a lot of people don't realize. Like vitamin C has a connection to sleep. We think about magnesium a lot for that. Mm-hmm. But so does vitamin C. Um, I think, mag- and then I look at electrolytes because I do work out a lot in, you know, electrolytes will get caught up in a Gatorade monitor, uh, marketing, but they actually are important for cellular signaling in the body. So I think about, all right, if I work out a lot, will certain electrolytes possibly be depleted? And the question is yes. So Mm -hmm. I think magnesium is important. That does both for sleep and kind of modulating stress pathways. Um, I think one people overlook is also calcium. I take my magnesium personally at night and then, you know, a, 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 a glycinate or, uh, and then I take a calcium with vitamin D. I think people overlook calcium um, because calcium, especially when connected with caffeine, might be utilized a little bit more. Calcium, especially in intense in, in endurance events, might might get lost. If you don't eat dairy products, you're probably not getting over a gram a day and making sure you get over a gram, a gram or so of calcium a day coupled with you know strength training and stuff is really what improves the bone health, not just strength training in itself. Mm. So I think that cal- and especially a little bit, even for heart health, I think I've, I've, I've been intrigued about the role that, that calcium has. Um, so I take probably 500 uh, milligrams a day uh, with some D3. I mean, everybody kind of hears about D3. It's more, it's basically your hormone. So especially if you're a person of color, because we need more sun or, you know, it's, it's super key, super key to have everything from immune system to move. Um, K2, I guess, if you're a plant-based eater, I've, 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 uh, I've been looking at, um, what else do I take? I mean, I take fish oils here and there, like a cod liver or, 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 uh, krill. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Marine based krill oil, I think is important. Um, and then I take up, see, my approach to supplementation is so vast because it also depends on then in my training for sports. So I'll just go mm-hmm. back to answering a distinct question, which is 
if people had to look at supplements that they could take that probably are not dangerous, that they might want to look into adding into the routine, I would say vitamin C, I would say a B complex, I would say a standalone B12, especially if you're plant-based, uh, a vitamin D or in, in K2 possible mix. I would look at calcium, I would look at magnesium. I think I already said zinc, especially if you're a man, um, yeah. you know, fish, you could look into fish oil. I don't think that will cause more problems for people. And then uh, those are the main ones that I would look at. I, and then if you're a plant-based, of course, in the B12, the DK2 mix, some of omega-3, perhaps a little L-carnitine, but you don't want to get too much. We'll probably cycle that a little bit. Um, those are probably the like starter, starter ones that I would have. And then from there is when I personally get super specific. So my situation then if I'm, you know, do I take, a, you know, B powder supplement if I'm training for a marathon? Do I look more creatine, both low dose or higher dose if I'm starting to weightlift a bit more? Do, you know, do I look at my protein supplementation? Do I look at, you know, adding in for a specific sleep? Do I look at whatever thing you have HTP? Then from there, you start to get intrigued about like maybe specific causes but you know for general health ones previously mentioned will suffice right on man thank you for sharing that well dude we are unfortunately already running out of time i feel like we could go for a long time perhaps i may inquire about a part two at some point if you'd be uh so willing but just a couple questions left man are there any books that have really moved the needle for you that you would recommend the listeners and i to check out Move the needle. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, War of Art, I always recommend by Stephen Pressfield. Great book. Um, uh, prehab book for runners. Great book. If you're into running and want to know a little bit more about how to take care of yourself. Um, what else has moved the needle for me? Uh, it's been a lot. A fourth out I'm currently reading, which, which I like, basically just Realizing that your typical life's about 4,000 weeks, being honest with what you want to really just do with your life. Mm. Um, what are, when you think about fitness books for people that get more involved in that? Uh, there's a book called, I think it's Going Faster Longer, which is a really good running, really good running book. Mm. Uh, Start McGill stuff, so like back mechanic, if you're just really into like more so understanding human physiology and kind of the aspects aspects of that. Um, so, uh, da, 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 da. There's a book by the Zico founder, uh, High Hanging Fruit, it's a pretty good read. Mm. Uh, Born to Run is a good read. Um, Exercise by Dan Lieberman, his latest book is a, is a pretty good read. Uh, and there's this recent book called Move, which is pretty interesting, like just basically how movement influences the mind and hmm. the impact uh, that that, that kind of has. Uh, Biocentrism by Lanza, Robert Lanza, I believe, is a, is a good book and kind of put me on into, I suppose, a little bit more about understanding quantum, quantum physics. Hmm. Um, and I will teach you how to be rich, which is just kind of like an honest book about finances. Uh, it was important. Awesome, man. Well, Joe, where can people connect with you online? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Joe Holder underscore and then on Instagram um, at Ocho System. Or uh, if you just really want the fitness stuff, this is at exercise underscore snacks. So appreciate y'all. Hopefully this helped and uh, just, just encourage people to keep learning. 
Right on, dude. Joe, appreciate you, man. Thanks again. Yeah, man. A special thanks to King's Kaleidoscope for the music heard throughout this episode. Also, a big shout out to Capital Floats, aka my favorite sensory deprivation and float tank facility in Northern California. I'm a frequent user there, and the experience is always transformative to say the least. If you're interested in floating and live in Northern Cal, make sure you use promo code LIFEENCHANTED with no spaces at checkout on their website. You'll save a whopping 40% off your first float and you will not find that deal anywhere else. Also, in regards to some of the content shared in these episodes, make sure you always consult your doctor before making any sudden diet or lifestyle changes. If you're interested in connecting with me, you can find me on Instagram at nick.carlisle or send me an email nick at mylifeenchanted.com. 